We are wrapping up the series that we've been in from Mother's Day. We started in Mother's Day. We're finishing in Father's Day. And uh, we've been looking at um, this passage in Ephesians chapter 5 um, uh, that is the most extensive uh, look at marriage. Even though marriage is throughout uh, the Bible and, and is, I, I think, um, uh, such a sacred uh, picture and plan of God uh, of existence, um, I think that um, even if there had been no sin and, and no uh, 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 rebellion against God in the garden, uh, marriage would have still been uh, the planned uh, way of existence uh, as mankind, uh, because there is just that completion that we have been talking about um, that, that reflects the relationship that we have with God. And that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. Um, we've looked at um, a total of six different factors in marriage. And of course, uh, we, we started with the source of marriage, um, which is not love and it's not romanticism and, and those you know little butterflies you get when you're around that person. The source of marriage, it, it is not emotional at all, uh, but it is uh, the creation of the Holy Spirit filling us um, bringing us into a place of covenant um, that we choose to serve someone um, and uh, enter into a process of growing together uh, as God has called us to submit to one another. So the source of marriage is the Holy Spirit filling us and bringing us to a place of submission uh, to another uh, person of the opposite sex. Um, then we looked at the definition of marriage. The definition, um, again, is a covenant. Um, it is an unbreakable uh, legal and public covenant um, that God has created. And, and it has to have those factors because those factors are what uh, give it its power. And it also gives it its protection. Um, without those, and of course today, we have given and taken all of those different factors. Well, we'll have marriage, but we won't make it public. Or we'll have marriage, and it won't be a covenant. We'll make it uh, marriage, but it uh, won't be um, forever. Uh, so we have, give, we have picked and, and chosen, but yet God is meant for all of those things. Because when all of them are in place as a covenant, there is power and there is protection because it begins to reflect the relationship that God has with us. Uh, because God does not pick and choose um, when he has chosen us. His love um, uh, is within the boundary of all of those issues which define a covenant. And, and so uh, that is the definition. It is a covenant uh, between two people and God. The third thing we looked at was the priority of marriage. That marriage, uh, when we enter into it, it, it becomes the central uh, core of our life. You might say, well, Christ is supposed to, well, it is right with Christ because it is the reflection of Christ. Our marriage is the outward reflection of our relationship with Christ. And so we cannot separate those two or begin to say, well, I'm putting God above you. You cannot put God above your wife because your wife is the reflection of God in your life. And so as we love God, um, our wife or our husband will be the focus of that and will be pulled into that same relationship. So the priority of marriage um, is that that relationship is number one above our children, 
above our careers, above our hobbies, our, our other friends, uh, and all of those things, uh, there is a priority of that. And without that priority, um, uh, it loses, again, its power and purpose. Um, and then we look at the purpose of marriage, that the purpose of marriage uh, was not to find fulfillment, that you just satisfy me so much, that other person. And yet that's what we've turned it into. And this is the danger of not understanding what marriage is. Um, the purpose of marriage is to see that other person in the way that God sees them and to take on the responsibility of bringing out the redemptive uh, uh, promise of God in their life. It says that the whole point of marriage is to present that other person before God, holy and blameless, um, uh, as we stand before God, glorified in that body. It says that it's just like Jesus is going to present us um, in the same way uh, we do that in marriage. So our whole purpose is not about us, but it is about the other person. Um, it's seeing the butterfly in the caterpillar. Um, it's, it's being willing to accept uh, times of, of not really liking the other person. Okay, and we, we talked about this, that the purpose of marriage is not always uh, having that feeling for them. Um, so it's better, you better choose someone that is your friend, not someone that you love. Uh, because it's not about that, because part of the process of, of cleansing them and washing them and bringing out that diamond out of the rough means that there's going to be times that you're going to have to deal with the rough parts and the dross and the, and the ugliness and the brokenness of who we are as humans. And so that means you've got to be willing to get dirty and to let them sometimes betray you and hurt you um, and accept that because that's not what I'm in it for. I still see what God is doing in that person, and so we begin to have that perseverance because um, uh, the person who hurts us and we get in arguments with is not um, uh, the purpose of why we're there in the first place because it, there is something beyond that that I am working and bringing out, that that's why I am a servant uh, to that other person. So that's the purpose of marriage. Um, last week, we looked at the structure of marriage. Uh, that there are different roles. Men and women are different, but not necessarily the way that we say it. Um, and, and we talked about this last week, that there are not specific roles in the way that many times we have defined roles. Uh, many times we like to fall into that traditional, well, the traditional Christian family. There is no traditional Christian family. Um, uh, whether the, the man works and the woman stays at home with the kids, um, there's nothing in the Bible that says that's the way it should be. There's nothing in the Bible that says the woman stays home and cooks and takes care of the kids. In fact, the ultimate woman uh, that we see in Proverbs 31 is an investor, is a, is a finance person who is out working in the city, who is part of politics, is part of uh, business, and that she's doing things right along with her husband. Um, and, and so uh, it's not to say that there's right and wrong. It's not that the woman has to be out in, in, in the workforce. Um, what, what it's saying is the difference between men and women is beyond behavior roles and it goes to spiritual roles. The structure of marriage is however you need to work it out. We need to work out what roles are going to work for you. Um, uh, who's going to be more of, uh, some of us have 
more skills in taking care of the money. Some of us have more skills in homemaking. Sometimes a guy may be a better homemaker than a woman. That's just the way it works. So that has to be worked out within the marriage. But no matter what, the structure of marriage is still this. God has made men as namers, as heads. And that head is not to be in control. We talked about this, that neither one is in control. But to be the head of the house means that you are the source. That God has given you the ability to speak and to name um, uh, things into existence. Um, uh, we know that it was out of Adam that came Eve that did not make him better. It did not make him higher. It did not put him in charge. Um, uh, but he began to be the one that had the responsibility of naming it and speaking it and, and um, uh, uh, taking that, that role of sourceship, which means, um, Jesus put it this way, um, authority is seen not in, in, obey, in, in commanding or in directing. Authority is seen, Jesus said this, those who are going to be authority are going to be the servants. He says, the people in this world, the way they take authority is they lord it over you. He said, it will not be like that with you. So the, the place of a husband is not necessarily, head does not mean I'm the head and you're going to do it. But the head means that I'm going to support you. I speak truth into you. I see potential in you and that I am going to support. I'm going to shape. I'm going to be the source of whatever you need to be who you need to be. Uh, so no matter how that role looks in your life, that is still uh, what God has given us as men. As women, uh, he gave the, the great ability to be the helpmate. Uh, it says that she became the helpmate of Adam. And again, we use that word in the wrong way, just like we do head. It is not like weakness. We think of a little helper as someone that can't do it themselves, so you just come and help me while I do it. You be my little helper. That's not... Uh, the helpmate that he spoke of. In fact, the woman was created to accomplish things that the man could not do on his own. Because on his own, God looked at the man and said, this is not good. Uh, and, and so woman fulfilled um, the things that were lacking in the man. And, and so a helper is someone who has resources and power to do something that the other person does not have. And so therefore, they are needed to help complete um, the plan. And yet we talked about that as a helper, um, it does also not mean that you take control. Because sometimes we can do that as a, like if we're going to help our kids with their homework, what we end up doing is just stepping in and doing it ourselves, right? You get so frustrated with your kids. I know my kids always tell me, because uh, they remember one time when I was working on the math with them, and they, they just could not uh, get it. And, and uh, so it, just got so frustrated um, uh, that I'm just like, can you not just get it? Look, you just do it. And so you end up doing it for them, right? Uh, you can do that, but what does it leave them in the place of that they're frustrated and they didn't learn anything? And uh, even though they got their homework done by you, the teacher looks and says, oh, really? This doesn't seem like you did this, uh, right? Um, so the best way to help is to um, get down with them and let them do it and you are simply a support um, to them um, basically kind of like let's say if 
in another uh, example, like um, uh, baseball, you hold their hands and you let them, you know, you get down with them and, and you hold the bat and you show them how to swing. Um, that is a form of submission, which is why it says the woman is to submit to his wife, because what they're saying is that as you help your husband, don't help him in a way that you want to replace him. Help him in a way that you are willing to get down with him and make him as successful as he can be because you were willing to help. Even though you're the one that probably maybe knew more about that than he did. Uh, and so as, as the man becomes the head and the woman becomes the helper, you see how they form together um, a perfect completion. And it is in that completion uh, that a man in his special creation and a woman as she is created in that way, only in those two different ways when they come together do they find completion. Um, and and that is the same reason why a man and a man cannot complete each other in marriage. Now, in this world, without God, yes, you can have a relationship, but it is not a marriage. It is not a a plan that God has to women because they are both helpers. They do not add that other creation. Um, and it has nothing to do with personality. It has nothing to do with what we call male and female, masculine and feminine, because that's not uh, the spiritual uh, source of who we really are as man and woman. Uh, we've gotten caught up in the wrong picture. Um, but as they come together, as a man and a woman comes together, there is completion spiritual completion. We reflect uh, God. And, and that brings us to today that we are looking at uh, the verse, and we're not going to read all of it, but in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, it says, this mystery is profound. It's the mystery of a man and a woman coming together and becoming one flesh um, and being that picture of of Christ in the church. It says the mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what he's saying is all this that we've been talking about marriage, the mystery of marriage, is that it's really not about marriage. It's really about Christ and the church. And that is why even if you're not married, these things apply to you because See, we are all the bride of Christ. Um, even us guys, we are part of the bride of Christ. So, this, so we still, even if we're not married, if we're single going into marriage, or if we are uh, older, I know we have widows, um, uh, we have those that are coming out of marriage, um, we still need to know and understand the principles of marriage uh, because it refers to Christ and the church. So... This mystery that it talks about, uh, we're going to look at because what it's really saying is that there are things that we can learn from marriage uh, that tells us about our relationship with Christ that we would never really understand without knowing about marriage. But on the other side, there are also things that we learn from, from walking with Christ that we can then learn about marriage that we would have never known. Many times we struggle in our marriage because we have not applied what we've learned about Christ and the church and us as, as his bride. So today I want to look at, real quick, um, two things on each side. Um, so the first thing I want to look at 
is two things that we learn um, by going through marriage uh, and that affects our understanding of Christ in our life. And the first thing is we learn in marriage that it is all about grace. And we need to learn this because when we walk with Christ, it's all about grace. Um, it's not about works. It's not about what we do or how we do it. Um, it has to be built on grace, grace and repentance. Um, these are two sides uh, of the picture. Now, in marriage, you quickly learn that it is not about what you do. At first it is, because at first, you know, there's that, that, uh, uh, that you know, uh, puppy love, and, and you're getting to know it, and, and it's exciting, and everything you do just seems to be perfect in the other person's eyes, and it just, even when they do something uh, wrong, you know, it, it kind of just amuses you, and oh, that's why I love you even more, because you do those things. But how many know, a few years down the road, they do those same things? Okay, now you just annoy me. The things that used to be amusing are just, okay, stop it now, right? So it's not about your works. It's not about the things you do. It has to be about grace. For a marriage to become great, if you look at any marriage that is great, it is built on grace and forgiveness and repentance. Um, uh, it, it, it is one that lasts because they were willing to walk in grace. And as they begin to show grace to one another and, and walk in repentance and forgiveness, you know, you learn things about one another that, that became even closer than those things that, that you just loved about the other person. Because grace um, and repentance bring greater completion uh, than any works could do, than anything that you could do like, you know, the things that we still love when, when they do something for us, um, but yet all the great little gifts or the little things that they do for us, how many know those are good for momentary things that we feel good, but, but then a couple months, okay, that's over. You need something more, right? That has already faded away. Um, it, it, so the work itself is not what does it. It's, it's the grace. And now what is grace? Grace has to do with Forgiveness. Uh, grace is something that the other person doesn't deserve, right? Um, now, it's not mercy. Mercy is not giving what they do deserve, okay? Uh, which, that is good. We need to show mercy. But grace is better. Grace is giving what they don't deserve. Um, and we need to come to that place and understand that our spouses, a lot of times, don't deserve uh, the acceptance uh, the election uh, that, that we give them. And that's what makes the marriage. And as we, we learn that in our own life, we begin to see what it means with Christ. We begin to understand what God has done for us because we have not deserved the grace that God has given us. And even though sometimes we can understand that, I, I think it's when we walk with one another in marriage and even in other areas of life that we, when we experience that grace, now we understand what God has done for us. Um, and in this world, um, 
Generally, people don't believe in forgiveness, true forgiveness. Now, a lot of people forgive, and they'll say, I forgive, but, but not the true sense of forgiveness where there is a full release. Now, everyone likes to forgive because they really like, what they really like is not that they like to forgive, but they like to make the other person grovel. What I really like is the other person repenting to me, right? So, okay, now I'll forgive you. But even then, do we really forgive? Do we really release it? Do we let it go? And I think, in general, we don't. The general thing is that we will give people a pass. Okay, I'll just give you a pass on that. But that's not forgiveness. Because when you give someone a pass, you, you always kind of know how many passes you've given. Okay, that's enough. You've reached that line. Here's the thing. With forgiveness, you can never reach that line. Because if you've truly forgiven, it starts over every time. You cannot ever reach that line of, okay, I've done enough. So we need to, in marriage, understand that we have to come into this place of fully releasing the other person. Now, the reason we don't is, in, in general, the feeling is that if you truly forgive someone, okay, that's great, Pastor, but... No, you do have to at some point draw a line. Well, why do we say that? We say that because the true feeling is that, that if you really, truly forgive, at some point you're going to get crushed. At some point you're going to get taken advantage of, you're going to get walked under, you're going to get crushed. Right? That's, that's the feeling. So we always kind of, like I forgive, but I, I kind of have to keep a little check here to protect myself. And therefore we never truly forgive. Now, if we come into marriage like that, it's just the opposite. Because if you've been in marriage, you know that if you play that game, your marriage will last a certain amount of time and then it will fall apart because you have played that game of, okay, now we've reached the line. And if there's ever going to be a line, believe me, you will get to it. That's why there was a, a, a time that uh, when we were first married, uh, we mentioned this, that, that we're never going to talk about divorce. It's just not even going to be a possibility. Because as soon as it's a possibility, you will get there. Okay? And, and uh, although we came close, there was times in our relationship where that was a, that would be a possibility, I think. But we didn't talk about it. I don't think we ever talked about it. We, we chose, I think it was in our mind, but we will not say it. Um, because if you do that, it will crush you. See, the opposite in marriage, if you don't forgive, you will be crushed. See, the world feels if you forgive someone, that sooner or later you're going to get taken advantage, you're going to get crushed. But the truth is, and this is what you learn in a marriage, even if maybe you've been crushed by it, you learned it, that if you don't forgive, that if you don't show grace, you will be crushed. Um, and so because of that, um, we see this, this ongoing playing out of the gospel in marriage. You see, and it's, it's supposed to be that way because in, in experiencing that, that, that role of having to forgive and repent, you know what? We start to have a greater sense of what God has done for us. And we begin to understand. I understand grace because I've had to give it. Okay, uh, I've understand repentance because in a marriage there's times that we have to repent to the other person. 
if you want to see it work. Now, if you don't want to see it work, then okay, then it'll be crushed and you'll just go on. Um, but the drama of the gospel is this. You start with peace and harmony, right? Um, uh, you are together, everything's great, you just love each other. But sooner or later, someone is going to live for themselves. They're going to do something that, that they want that, that ignores the other person. And that's called sin. You can That is a sin, whether it's against God or against someone else. Um, sin is simply putting yourself first. And there is then estrangement and alienation. The relationship is broken. There's hostility uh, because someone did something that broke it. Now, the next step in that is redemption. Um, uh, there has to be a reconciliation. There has to be something that happens that redeems it, and then we were back into a state of peace and harmony. Now, that process, peace and harmony, sin, uh, uh, separation, redemption, and peace and harmony again, that is an ongoing cycle uh, in our relationships from a varying degree to big degrees. Of course, probably on a daily basis, in little ways, it happens over and over. Uh, maybe once or twice uh, uh, a year, it happens in a pretty big way. And maybe once or twice in a lifetime, it, it'll happen in a major way where there will have to be a major confrontation. Um, and so we see this cycle, and this is the gospel cycle. Um, this is the cycle with, with us and God, that there was peace and harmony. We were created, but we have sinned. And that created... Um, uh, alienation from God uh, because we offended him we have, we have treated him in that way and yet there was redemption he stepped out and he showed grace to us and we repented and we were reconciled and now again we find that peace and harmony uh, with him now in that, in that cycle of course the most important step um is redemption. And so in marriage, we learn if we are going to strengthen our marriage or uh, prepare ourselves even before we go into marriage, we need to understand redemption. And redemption has two parts. Someone um, steps out and shows elective love. I simply choose to love. Okay, Not because I feel love, because you know what, right now, you have hurt me, you've offended me, you've done this, but I choose to love you because I see in you that thing that, that has been created that is better than what we have experienced. And so I choose love. That is elective love. That is grace. Okay, that's grace. But along with that, for redemption, for redemption to still happen, there also has to be repentance. Repentance is what the offender must do. That when they are elected, when they are chosen, when God stepped out and chose us and said, I'm going to send my son to die for you because even though you have offended me and, and you've really hurt me and, and you've really ignored me, and, but I still choose you. I step out and I choose you. But how many know that that still is up to us? We must receive that through repentance. Now, in our life, when we are offended, we understand that you, you 
have to understand that to show grace, um, it cannot be in the way that, that you say, okay, you know what? You've done this, but I'm going to be the bigger person. I'm going to step out and I'm going to choose you. And I'm going to put that away. And whenever you're, you're willing to say you're sorry, then I, I, I will accept that apology. That's how we usually show elective love. That's not elective love. You know what that is? That's punishing them. You're, 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 you're hiding behind this picture of self-righteousness that you are being so gracious to them. And you know what you're really doing is, I'm going to punish you and make me, myself look bigger than you. That is not grace. Here's what grace is. You know what? Maybe you had a bad day. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And I'm here for you. Now that's hard. That's elective love, though. That's choosing to love the other person. Now, does this not teach us about Christ? That's hard. That's not how we are. That's where, see, the mystery of marriage says, I need God to do that. I need Christ now to be the source of that within me. But yet we see the mystery of marriage as Christ shows us that that is what true grace is. And the same way, repentance. Repentance must be true repentance. We're, we are many times... Um, the type of people that say, you know what, oh, I'm sorry about that. You know, they tell us, you know what, that really hurt me. And you're like, oh, maybe you didn't even know that you had hurt them and, and it wasn't meant to. And, and so you're like, here's what we always say. Well, you should, you know what, you should not even be, I didn't even mean it that way, so I don't even understand why you're so hurt. Right? Well, if you're ever, you want to ask, are you saying sorry in there or something? You know, was that really a repentance? Uh, but if we don't think the other person should have been hurt, therefore, you know, we go, okay, fine, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. You see, this is the greatest thing that keeps us from God, too, is because we don't want to acknowledge that what we have done is bad. I'm not a bad person. Okay, God, fine, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. You see, just like your spouse would not want you to do that, you see, now we understand why God doesn't want us to do that either. That we need to truly say, oh, you're hurt. If I love you so much and you tell me you're hurt, the fact that I love you is going to accept the fact that you are hurt, whether I agree or not. Maybe I don't understand why you're hurt. But if you're hurt, that bothers me if I truly love you. And that's where repentance becomes a response to what the other person did uh, out of their need and so therefore I repent whether I think I need to or not. And there is a true sense of I want to fulfill the other person. It's not about what I did. It's not about what I think about what I did. It's about what the other person needs. And I understand that we have fallen short of the glory of God. And so therefore it's not about what I think is good enough. But God, I want to, I want to bless your heart. I want to, you know, and, and people say, Oh, man, isn't that mean thinking you're all better than God? No. It's loving God to the point that you want to be uh, the one that fills uh, his plan for us. And so we can respond in that way. And so that is true repentance. When we truly repent, and sometimes there has to be, you know, it has to be something that makes a change. Because on the same way, maybe we truly do repent. We don't really understand. I really am sorry. You know what? Okay. Husband, wife, I'm sorry. 
I don't, I, I didn't want to hurt you. But then two days later, you know, it's just part, we do it again. They're like, uh, I thought you said you were sorry. Oh man, I'm, I'm sorry, I did, I did. I won't do that again. And then two days later, we do it again. Okay, I'm not even going to say this again. You did it again. You keep telling me you're sorry, but, the, and again, you see, if there's not ever a change, even though you're sincere, repentance has to have a change element to it. And, and so, um, in any relationship, we have got to begin to truly understand repentance and then truly understand grace. Because at some point, now in our experience with Christ, he always takes the first step. The grace always comes first. In our relationship, sometimes it goes in either direction. Sometimes it's the, it's the person needs to repent first. But sometimes we need to show grace first. Um, so it can be either way. But either way, both parts have to happen to bring redemption and back into that um, place of wholeness. And this is in big things and small things. Sometimes we only do it for big things. But you need to understand that, uh, what do they say, a beach is made up of uh, lots of little tiny pieces of sand. But they add up. In our marriages, in our homes, don't just say, well, that was a little thing, and you're overreacting. They might be overreacting to that one little thing, but you have done that one little thing so many times that it is reasonable. And sometimes we forget that, because all we see is the one little time. But our spouse sees the beach of sand that they're living in. We need to understand that. And so therefore, come to this place of redemption, of grace, and repentance. And if we can learn that, that is something that we can learn both in our marriage and with Christ, that I think that will make our relationship with Christ so much better. If we will truly understand the grace that has been given us, and if we will truly understand the place of repentance that we can enter into, then we will see um, it in a greater way. The second thing um, that we learn uh, from marriage, and, and these other ones, that was the main one. So the other ones are going to be shorter because grace and, and forgiveness and redemption is the main picture um, that we learn. But here's a couple other things that are definitely important. First of all, in marriage, you learn that intimacy is what leads to fruitfulness. Okay? You cannot have one without the other. And, and that is very important. Even though we have said over and over again that it's not based on emotions, a marriage based on emotions will eventually fail because emotions don't last. Um, but intimacy is what has to be the focus. Um, and intimacy is more than just physical. Of, of course, that is part of it. But intimacy does include the emotions. And so even though we have said that emotions are not, that does not mean you cannot remove your emotions from them. Um, there has to be an intimacy. Is It is um, a picture of wholeness that every part of me is given to every part of you. And we find intimacy, and this is why we use the word in the physical sense, that when we come together uh, uh, physically and in every way, there is a completion. There is a coming together. And, and that's what intimacy is. Um, that in every part of us, we have to be willing to come together um, uh, emotionally um, and intellectually and in, in 
in our spiritual realm, we need to come together. And it is only in intimacy that you have fruitfulness. Okay? And that goes in every other. Of course, um, physically, you cannot have a child without intimacy happening. If there's no intimacy, there's no child. But it happens in other ways of the marriage. If there is no intimacy or giving to one another, there is not going to be the fruit of a strong marriage of trust, uh, the fruitfulness of uh, peace, the fruitfulness of uh, fulfilling one another. That fruit in a marriage comes from intimacy. There has to be a connection. There has to be a giving to one another and a coming close to one another. Intimacy is about being close. Um, and, and so we understand that fruitfulness only comes out of intimacy. Now here's the thing. Um, the fruit will reveal what you're intimate with. Okay? Um, uh, when, we, when we watch all the soap operas or the other shows, right, um, uh, you'll have a marriage and, and someone will have a, a kid and they'll look at it and they'll say, this is not my kid. And of course, dun, 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 she was intimate with someone else. And it's revealed by the fruit of that. And, and it's the same way in our marriage. Um, the fruit of your marriage, the things that are going on and, 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 and how we are learning to grow and trust for one another and, and satisfaction with one another is showing who you're being intimate with. Okay? And, and not just in a physical way, but, but who you're giving your heart to. And it may not be another person, it can be other things. Maybe our true intimacy is with our job. Well, you will bear fruit in your marriage if intimacy is not with your spouse, but is with your job. And it's going to show up. And sooner or later, dun, 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 people are going to say, you're not intimate with me. Because you'd rather go do that than spend time with me. And so we see this this principle in marriage is that intimacy is what leads to fruitfulness, and fruitfulness reveals your intimacy. The arms in which you are putting your heart is going to show up in the fruit that comes up in your marriage. Um, uh, and it's the same thing with God. And so if we've learned this in our relationships, how much more so is it with God? So how do we expect to have fruit that God's going to give us? We want God to give us joy and, and uh, uh, love and, and all these things, and yet we're not willing to be intimate with God. You see, the same thing happens. We call ourselves Christian, but you know what? We go out in the world and things happen, and dun, 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 people look at your life and say, yeah, you haven't been with God, right? You've been with someone else. Because it shows up in our fruit. So intimacy, this principle of intimacy to fruitfulness um, is important. And we see it in Galatians chapter 5. We know that, that in Galatians chapter 5 from verse 19 to 23, it, it talks about the two types of fruit. So there is the fruit of the world, uh, and it goes through the whole long list, hatred and anger and, and uh, sexual immorality and drunkenness and party spirits and and self-centeredness. So that's the fruit of the world. But it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, 
patience, kindness, faithfulness. You see, those are two different pictures of a person, but yet they are pictures of who you're being intimate with, where your heart is. Um, and, and so God is saying intimacy determines faith fruitfulness. And we definitely know that in our marriage. So in our marriage, we need to ask, who are we truly being intimate with? Sometimes we're more intimate with our children than we are with our spouse, and that's the danger zone. There's going to be fruit from that. And many times it's, it is poisonous fruit that causes destruction. Well, let's switch to the other side. Um, what do we learn from Christ that we can apply to our marriage? Um, and here is the, the main thing that we learn from Christ. As we, as we look, read through our, uh, our Bibles and we are walking with Christ, we know that over and over again, uh, Christ says, um, I need to be number one, right? He says, if you're going to follow me, you got to leave everything aside and you come and follow me. That I am the ultimate, that I am the one that will give you life. I am the one that will give you um, uh, this fulfillment. And so we need to learn from that. And we understand that, that, that we, we cannot, you know, uh, say we're Christians, but yet follow another God or have other things in our life that are idols. And, and if that's the case, and we know that with God, that we don't need marriage to teach us that, but we do need, if that's the case with God, then we need to learn that about marriage. That God is still the ultimate in marriage. That even though marriage is a reflection of God, um, and our relationships within that are to be the shadow of what God is, but we still need to understand that marriage is still just the shadow. Okay, so we do need to understand that that the ultimate reality is Christ. And what what happens is many times we turn marriage into an idol. If you don't understand that Jesus is still the substance and marriage is just a reflection, we make an idol out of our spouse. Um, they become the source of well, I will be fulfilled by her. Or he's the one that, man, he just is what makes everything right. That becomes an idol. So we need to understand that we cannot, even though marriage is priority, it's number one, it is only as it reflects Christ. And it happens in the other way, too. When that person gets so on our nerves, we hate them. You know what? They can be an idol in a bad way, too. We get so focused on them that, that our annoyance or I wish that they would just change, that becomes an idol because we get so focused on that that we miss and we move out of the picture of grace um, and, and the transformative view of what our purpose is that it becomes such an idol that we focus on their negative parts so much that, that we almost worship it. That is always what, what we have more energy given to hate or... or or the conflict than we do to the redemptive love of Christ. And so therefore, in marriage, um, we still make the other person an idol, whether through a good way or through a bad way. And we need to be careful from that because we need to understand that Jesus is the only one that will truly fulfill you. That Jesus will use your spouse, but it is still Jesus that's using your spouse to fulfill you. 
It was still Jesus that gave you that purpose. Remember from the very beginning, the source of marriage. See, this is where we come back to the source of marriage. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christ is still the reason we love our spouse. Why we choose to even put up with hurt. And we choose to be the source of redemption and grace. So we need to understand this, that there is the relativeness of marriage. Marriage is the shadow. And the shadow can never be separated from the reality. That's why we say you can't love God without loving uh, your wife or your husband. You can't. You know, it's like Peter Pan trying to sew his shadow back on. Well, you cannot separate your shadow from yourself. But it's still the shadow, right? You cannot separate your marriage from your walk with the Lord. You can't. You better get it right. But it's still just the shadow. The ultimate, the reality of it is still your walk with Christ. Does that make sense? Hopefully that begins to understand where we're at. That Jesus is our focus. Jesus is the one that fulfills us. Jesus is our great husband. We are the bride of Christ. And, and, and so he needs to be our focus. He is the ultimate source of everything that we have. And that's true even if we're single. Because here's how we make marriage an idol if we're single. In some ways, man, if I don't ever get married, I'm, I, my life is going to just be terrible. And we become so focused on getting married that that becomes an idol. And we will sometimes make a bad choice because of that. Um, uh, we will choose a person that makes us feel so good because we're afraid what will happen if I don't have that person need to begin to remove that idol and remember that Jesus is number one. And in the right time, if it's his calling, he'll bring that person. But if you jump ahead of that and make marriage itself an idol, I just want to have this, then we begin to lose sight of the reality of Christ. And we do know that if God has called us to be single, there is a greater reality in that than if we were to get married. Um, and, and so that is the case. Let's say this. There's many of us that are divorced. You might say, well, then that I've just blown. That is not the case. But divorce is still something much more serious um, than what we make it. it. It's not a separation. It's like an amputation. We need to understand that, that divorce is an amputation. There, there is, you cannot ever get divorced without losing something of yourself because it was never meant to happen. But there are times... That amputation, although you never do it in a, in, a, uh, in a healthy sense, but how many know there are times where if you don't amputate, you can die? So there are times that, that there, are, there are times of that where it is a God thing. Now, there's still an amputation, um, but you need to understand that there, is not, there should not be a guilt factor because God still has a purpose but that amputation may have been for the best um, because there was a necrotic uh, uh, death uh, substance in there that had to be separated. Um, now, we know the Bible only gives two uh, reasons for that, and that is either uh, full adultery and betrayal or full um, uh, uh, willful um, abandonment. When one doesn't, 
you know, that's out of your control. Um, uh, and that would include, you know, abuse where there is danger to life, um, uh, and even uh, just when one walks away from the other. Um, and that's okay. Now, this is where God still becomes the reality. That even in an amputation, we've seen people, and, and I, you know, there are great stories of an accomplishment through that. And so, whether you are single, whether you are divorced or widowed, we need to understand that this principle of the reality of the greatness of God is what keeps us going. And, and so, if we keep Him as ultimate, um, we will find what He desires for us. Um, the final thing, real quick, is um, that as we think of Christ, it, it shows us that when we will live out the plan that God has for us in marriage, we will actually begin to experience a deeper relationship with Christ. And if we will live out the plan with Christ, and begin to seek him, we will have a deeper relationship with those in marriage or with those in the church. Because here's the other thing, and we've said this before, there is marriage, but then we as a church, we are married together. That there is a bond here because we are the bride of Christ. Um, so a lot of these principles also affect how we respond and interact within the body of Christ. Um, but in all of these things, when we live out the plan in both, we find the joy increase within our heart. And this is the mystery that God has put within us. And that's our goal. Let us begin to, to follow the shadows to get to the reality. Because Jesus will be our reality. And he has life 